0: And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. Acts 2 verse 44-45 to In Acts, every believer was living in a direct relationship with him, and each one functioned normally as a member of his body in oneness with all believers. Henry Hahn The church the Bible described as exciting and adventurous, and wrought with sacrifice. It cost believers everything, and they still came. Jen Hatmaker The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money. And practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body, and they gave practically everybody their money. Timothy Keller As Elijah's mantle fell on Elisha, and as other prophetic disciples sought to emulate their mentors, so the ascending Jesus empowered his church with the Spirit to carry on his mission to the ends of the earth. Craig S. Keener Nowhere among the early Christians do we find the cold light of intellectual understanding that constantly analyzes and differentiates. Instead, there was the spirit that burned within their hearts and made their souls alive. Eberhard Arnold And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, verse 47
1: The believers form a community. All the, be- the believers, the devoted ones, the ecclesia, the called out, gathered ones by the Spirit, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to what they learned from the disciples who learned it from Jesus, and to fellowship, to being in proximity with each other, and to sharing in meals. Fancy that including the Lord's Supper, the the symbols of the body and blood of Christ, the Messiah, and to prayer, to attuning to God in a language that is understandable and accessible. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles, disciples performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need They worshiped together at the temple each day and then in homes for the Lord's supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity Mm -hmm. all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill, the fellowship of all of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship, those who are being saved about a month ago, I was sitting with my um, friend Rob, who's a tattoo artist and uh, surprise, surprise. And he every time we connect, which is probably once every three or four months, he asks me the same thing. How's the church thing going? And I'm like, oh, don't Google us. Um, yeah, it's, it's okay. And it's this weird barrier where he doesn't, like he's trying to engage with me, but doesn't possess the like religious faith community language to communicate what he's really trying to ask. What he's really trying to ask is, Jimmy, I care about you. How are you doing? How is your role and vocation and calling working itself out? Are you doing okay? I want to hear it. Uh, And so, yeah, we got into the chat and I said, well, you first, how are you doing? He's like, man, I love what I do. I get to meet with people all day. I get to like kind of commune and connect with them. I get to do art that represents something. I'm like, this sounds like the church in a tattoo shop. I'm like, that sounds amazing. I do something similar to you. I connect and commune with the fellowship of the faithful around a shared purpose. And this time he shared a little bit of a story about uh, his grandma. So I didn't know this and I've known Rob for a decade. And he said, you know, I don't think I've shared this. Um, I used to go to church. I used to go to church every once in a while with my grandma, you know? And so we would go once a month or once every other month and I'd be part of Sunday school. And I just never felt like it connected with me. I always felt like I was hearing a foreign language. I always felt like I was hearing uh, a foreign language or like I was an outsider. Jesus, I can get behind, he said. Jesus, I'm down with, kind of sounds like a rebel and an anti-politics guy, a peacemaker. Jesus, I can get behind, but I can barely understand in the best of days, religion. Have you ever felt like this before? Mm -hmm. Why is the Jesus religion, Oftentimes so different than the Jesus way. Why is oftentimes in our culture, in our world, that desperately needs to hear the salvific work, the saving work of the love of God through the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus? Why is that simple message oftentimes so clouded and coded in religiosity and Christianese, where to an outsider's ears, it just sounds like a foreign language. And so my friends, welcome to our brand new series where we're walking through for the next five, six weeks, uh, the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. We actually, as a teaching team, plan to do something wholly different uh, for, for this month. But um, the spirit, surprise, is at work, moving us towards Christ-likeness and righteousness, but also accessibility, inviting outsiders in and inviting insiders out, which is the message of the book of of Acts. So I'd invite you to turn um, to actually three different places. I thought we would only do like one section of scripture. We're going to do a whole ton again. So uh, Luke 24, Acts chapter 1, and Acts chapter 2. I'll repeat that again. For those of you watching online, Luke 24. Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Luke 24, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Um, While you're taking a a look in your Bibles, kind of finding your spot, I'll mention just a couple things. At the end of this series, our teaching team right here and uh, for you online, we're going to be having a panel discussion, a Q and A session, so it'll be all QA teaching at the end of the month at the end of this series so um, feel free to be like saving your questions until then you can certainly drop them uh, in the chat as wherever you're watching but we'll kind of collate and compile them and come back to um, uh, that at the at the end of the series in week uh, five so you can send those questions to ask at the meetinghouse.com ask at the meetinghouse.com and like I said we'll put those together and answer them this is also a fantastic time to join a home church. Home church, like we've said before, is an opportunity for us to like face each other, to have a conversation that's not just monologue one way, but dialogue. What are we learning? What are we hearing? How is the Spirit speaking? And in good Anabaptist tradition, of which we're a part, we believe and would contend that the Spirit of God speaks best most clearly and most often through the community of voices through many voices rallied around and moving towards the person and the teaching and the ethic of Jesus. So that's my commercial for home church. If you're not in a home church, Shame on you. You make baby Jesus cry. Just kidding. But it's a great time. It's a great time to jump into a home church and uh, create that relationship or re- reinvigorate that relationship. If you're watching online for the first time, you're like, what did he just say? And where am I? You're in good company. Um, there's a number of online home, uh, home church options for you as well. So you can just go to home Okay. Luke 24, come on, let's get serious. Luke 24, Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two. Now this is really, um, so if you can name the gospels, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Uh, gospel. So they they try and collate and match each other. John is the most philosophical, esoteric uh, gospel, but actually Luke, uh, our common translations divide Luke and Acts, but it's written as one collated book. It's one book with two volumes. So Luke writes the book of Luke, as well as the Acts of the Apostle, which is actually kind of a funky, um, kind of fumbly translation. The honest rendering of the title of of the book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles. It's not just the book of Acts. It's actually the Acts of Jesus by the Spirit. The Acts of Jesus by the Spirit. And there's three main concepts that Luke brings us back to, both in um, his gospel writing, his account of um, uh, collating the information from eyewitnesses. Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. So Luke is um, likely the, the... Most common understanding of the writing of the book of Luke and Acts is uh, late first century. So about 40 to 60, 70 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, possibly early second century, which many of the gospels are. Uh, It doesn't negate their historicity. It's actually most of the gospel writers are, are waiting until like a lot of time has happened. Seeing the effect of the church, the movement and mission of the people of God, And then the eyewitness of the account of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the son of God. And Luke is no exception. And so in Luke's gospel, he says, um, uh, dearest Theophilus. Have you ever ever heard that title before? Yeah, a couple of us. There's a couple ways that that could go. Theophilus, I would contend is likely, um, a Roman ruler, governor, perhaps a politician, definitely a leader. It's a particular person who Luke in particular being of that kind of, um, social status is like, these Romans have to hear. These Romans have to hear the good news of the grace of God, that Jesus is King and Lord and Master, not the Emperor at the time. Not based on the Emperor's moods and power struggles at the time, that Jesus is Lord and Master. So my dear Theophilus, uh, I write this to you so that you will understand the words and the work of Jesus. And then going to Acts chapter one, Luke readdresses and says in my first volume, I talked about what Jesus did and how he did it and what the effect was. In this volume, I want to tell you about the acts of the spirit and the apostles. So what is the effect? Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. First version, this is what Jesus did and taught. This is how we understood it. Second version, second um, uh, book, this is how it changed us. This is how the early church got started and the present church still has its marching orders. Now, um, leaf over to Acts chapter one, verses one to eight. I'm going to fly through quite a lot of this. So I might not get to um, all of the scripture, but I'll I'll read this section. So uh, Acts chapter one, verses one to eight. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, there it it is again, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further, further instructions about the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that should arrest us right there. About and through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days, that should arrest us right there. After he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And then once when he, Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, just like in our previous series, talking about Jesus uh, and Nicodemus, that you must be born from above, from spirit. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized from above with the Holy Spirit. First cleansing and repentance and now new life and energy by the spirit that lives in you, the new temple, the walking around temple, which is the intersection between heaven and earth. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel? A political statement. They've missed it. A political statement. Has the time come for you not to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, chill. He didn't say that. (laughs) The father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they're not for you to know. Jesus dismisses it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Where are those places? In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, Samaria. what? We hate those people in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay. So leading up to this chapter in, in Luke chapter 24, it's fascinating um the first people to look, pop quiz for you watching online or here in person who are the first people to witness the resurrection of the messiah the christ jesus of nazareth women women, women in particular so the women run to the tomb well they're not i don't know if they're running maybe jogging they're <laughs> they're heading to the tomb and they've prepared burial spices they prepared a burial ritual for a tomb that's been gifted to this community out of compassion mm-hmm. we know this is your failed leader Here's a tomb for his body to be laid in, go and prepare him, which was a woman, a woman's, um, duty, uh, as representative in that community. So these women go to the tomb in the end of, uh, Luke chapter 24 and they find it empty. And instead they find two angelic dudes who address them, angels speaking to women. Nowhere else in scripture do we see this. This is the first time where women are now empowered as the first apostles, messengers, communicators of the divine. That is the Messiah. This should, you should be writing this down. (laughs) Like this is incredible. But what they say is, is really interesting. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's been taken up to heaven. They have an interaction. They leave their stuff where they are. They go back to the men, and the men are like, "Thank you for sharing this. We believe you. Let's journal about it." Dial. No, they're like, "Y'all crazy? What? Mm-mm. No, this is why we don't believe women. No, they don't believe them. Except Peter in Luke's gospel. Luke is uh, um, Peter is like, I-, I should go check this out." He runs back and then fast forwarding to the beginning of Acts chapter one, uh, Luke is retelling what happened. So not only did Peter comes back and attest, he's not there. What happened? He's not there. Maybe this resurrection thing is legit. Meanwhile, Jesus in his resurrected form has appeared outside of the city on the Emmaus road to two of his kind of extraneous, like um, concentric circle out disciples who are like, this thing is a wrap. We're heading back to... Emmaus to start life over or whatever. And Jesus meets with them, explains to them the scripture, interprets the scripture with him at the center that he has been given authority. He eats with them. And then when they've recognized it, they're like, oof. He disappears. And so these men return back to the upper room where these disciples, fearful disciples and hundreds of others, by the way, have gathered together to listen and to kind of recap what, what is going on in this world. None of this makes sense. And what happens? Who shows up? Jesus. Jesus shows up and, and, and gives them instruction. Now it's interesting. The human condition just on display there, which we just read, what is one of the first questions that they ask him? Cool. We're in charge now, right, Jesus? Will this be the time that you will set Israel back on her rightful throne, a place of leadership in politics that you will redeem and restore our kingdom? Isn't that interesting that you will restore our kingdom, not your kingdom, not the kingdom that's always been meant to be a blessing. Our kingdom, please put us in charge. Disciples are once again hungry for political power. Will you restore Israel and our kingdom? And Jesus says, you've missed the point. Wait here and I'll show you the work you'll be doing. Which is what Luke is going to get to and certainly he has in, the, in his gospel, but then also in the Acts. Three main things. Jesus who taught, Jesus who did, and Jesus who promised. So what is the work that you'll be doing? You'll be recapturing and retelling the Jesus story, the Jesus tradition through teaching. You will do the work that Jesus did while he was here and showed you how to do. And then you'll receive the spirit of the Christ, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy spirit who has promised to you long I go, wait here in Jerusalem and I'll show you the work that you'll be doing. Wait for the anointing and then go and do exactly what Jesus did and promise that you would continue waiting and praying. And as you fast forward, they uh, elect new leadership because Judas has committed suicide. Uh, He sold Jesus out. He commits suicide. And so they kind of have a commemoration and sadness around that. They elect uh, uh, a new type of board through casting lots they're literally rolling the dice and just trusting simply the spirit, which is not a negative thing. Isn't that fascinating? The childlike faith of these early fathers who are like, we believe that God will answer. So we'll cast lots and trust um, who God chooses. So they elect uh, Matthias, uh, which is the, the 13th apostle disciple, but everybody is there. Everybody is there. Um, the text says about 120, but that's usually a figurative term. It's, it's in the hundreds, the people who are, who have showed up, including Jesus' mother, including Jesus' brothers, and probably some of the neighborhood kids, my translation. But there's a ton of people there who are trying to make sense of, uh, what, what do we do now? Where do we go now? How do we interpret, um, the work of Jesus and the work that's now ours to do. And then 50 days or so after the resurrection, uh, Jesus promises, the spirit, they, they head uh, o- uh, through the Kidron Valley. So they're, uh, um, likely in the Mount of Olives, they head through the Kidron Valley and then they m- kind of like set up in a home that's, uh, uh, an arm's length from the temple in Jerusalem. Now, why are they going to Jerusalem Pentecost? Right, which is not a New Testament celebration. I think sometimes we get it twisted. We say, oh, this is something that started in the New Testament. No, this is the, a festival of harvest or weeks or Pentecost, which was meant to celebrate the provision of God. And some scholars would say marks the anniversary date of, of the law of God being given to the people. So this all happens, the, the celebration of the people of God in the city of God, in the temple of God, commemorating the work of God, remembering the law of God that's been passed down. Hmm. And yet, where does Jesus instruct them not to go? He does not say explicitly, go to the temple. He says, go into Jerusalem, find somebody in Eastern hospitality. You would always invite whoever needs a spot to come in uh, and, and just stay there. Likely a side street in Jerusalem, not far from the temple. Doesn't invite them into the temple. Doesn't invite them into the temple. So interesting. And wait. And the spirit of God will come upon you. Just like I promised you will be baptized from above. The spirit will dwell within you and will empower you to do the work that I've called you to do. And what happens here and why they're gathered and ready, not just the disciples, but a good squad of them gathered at a home near the temple, down a side street and wind and fire settle on them. Tongues of fire and a rushing wind. Where have we heard this before? Right. Genesis and Exodus. Exodus. Why? What's the manifestation of like wind and fire? It symbolizes the presence, the purpose, and the power of God. Fascinating that the compassionate spirit of the Christ manifesting this power does not show up in the old temple shows up in these new people, in this new temple that will continue to be the voice of the manifestation, the communication of the spirit that embodies Jesus. Fire and wind, but this time not at the temple, but in and through nobody's Mm -hmm. Galileans. Now, Galileans for us were like, oh, Jesus yeah, we lived in Galilee. That's a nice, it's, th- this is a pejorative term. Galileans were like the country bumpkins were like the, for lack of a better termino- uh, terminology and not trying to be offensive, but like rednecks. So you knew these people's like, th- uh, these are illiterate, Country farmer bumpkins, what good can come from them? Even Jesus, early in his ministry, is accused of this. Like, what good can come from Nazareth? What good can come from, is this not the Galilean? Like, we know his brothers be gone. And Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own home. The same thing, this repeat religious ostracization, the othering of people who are desperate for God and desperate to follow God is happening again. But wind and fire, a rushing wind come in and and, and, um, uh, saturate the home or the alley or the front porch, wherever they are at the time of the home that they're staying in. And then what appears like fire, tongues, flickers of fire, appear over their heads. The manifestation of God's power and spirit is now here and is unmistakable. And what happens? People who are in the temple rush away from the temple and are drawn to this manifestation of God's presence and power. They recognize it, but they don't recognize the people. This cannot be not the Galileans, not these Jesus folks. They must be, anybody know, drunk, right? They must be drunk on new wine, wine that hasn't had a chance to sit and like fully ferment so that you don't get super drunk, super quick. No, they've had the sweet wine so that they are hammered at nine o'clock in the morning. And Peter's like, for real, it's like, like later we might, but right now, 9 a.m., it's is way too early for us to be drinking. No, that is not what is happening here. The spirit is here. The Holy Spirit, the presence The empowerment, the indwelling of the spirit is here in with and through us because things have changed. The spirit is available to all speaks up and shows up to all lives in the new temple of the believer and moves out to tell all and serve all even to the furthest ends of the earth. And so it's no coincidence where this all takes place with one little tweak. It all takes place in the city of God, Jerusalem, in the temple of God during a festival commemorating the provision of God and on the anniversary of the giving of the law of God outside of the temple with God's people, the marginalized, the poor, the ostracized, the tattoo artists. This is a language that come hell or high water, you will understand love is the language of God and is now accessible to all. This is the movement that the spirit is now Doing. And the Spirit of God empowers and speaks through nobodies who have seen the risen Jesus down a side street in Jerusalem, not far from the temple. And everyone comes a running. And what is the message? Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Your religious leaders are not. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. The message is the need for repentance from religion. Mm -hmm. Remember the captive audience here is not Gentiles and Greeks, although they probably would have been there. This is a Jewish religious festival where hundreds of thousands of religious folks with their own language and their own way of interpreting Torah Mm -hmm. have gathered. The need for repentance from religion and sin to be cleansed and baptized to be cleansed and purified, to be cleansed and made right. And the beauty of the language of God that is love and is redeeming and restoring the world, which is represented right there in their midst. Acts chapter two, verses nine and 11. So here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya, Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to, Ju- to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and all and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Um, I read one scholar who said that the this is in intentional uh, in Luke's writing of categorizing the, the, the geography that he represents and naming those groups are the farthest north civilized city, are the farthest south civilized city, are the farthest west civilized city, and are the farthest east civilized city. Literally the ends, the farthest reaches of the world have come into the city of God to hear about the new movement of God through the new people of God, which are the new temple of God. incredible. And what happens? They're confused. They don't get it. It's foreign language. What are we doing? No, they understand in their own dialects, these illiterate Galileans who have no business being here talking this way. They must be drunk. They hear in their own dialects, their own language, the wonderful work, the miraculous work of God through Jesus by the spirit. And the result is 3000 people follow Jesus that day. And it's not just like signing a visitor card. It's not just putting your hand up at, the, at an altar call mm. because they make fellowship with these believers. Imagine like, uh, I always think it's funny to to think about the the host home there, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. at first it was like, we got 12 here. Well, it, closer to 100. Okay, well, I guess we'll, I don't know, get some you know nachos and salsa out. And then within a day, it's like, uh, it swelled to around 3000, uh, anything to eat, but it's no issue because they're pooling their resources. Those believers make it their habit to learn together, to learn the Jesus way, to learn the Jesus leadership method and ethic to lead together and to love others. Why? Because by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, they are the new temple, the place where God dwells, the intersection between heaven and earth. And they, and we are the language of love that Jesus is speaking to the entire world, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My friends, love is the language that God speaks through the spirit. Love is the language that God speaks through the spirit. Love is the language, uh, uh, restoration is the language that everybody can understand of being other centered uh, centered of serving the world of being an unstoppable. You've heard me say this tons of times, an unstoppable force of good in the world. This is a language that all can understand whether you're a Cretan, a Judean, a Syrian, an Arab, or a tattoo artist in Dundas. Love is the language of the spirit and the spirit dwells in this new temple here, us, us, the, the mouthpieces of the divine, the representative of the Jesus way and the Jesus heart and the Jesus ethic and the Jesus temple, that we are the new temples, that the temple isn't just a place you go anymore. The temple comes to you and invites you in that through all of these living temples, God is redeeming and restoring the world. One voice, one person through one spirit Mm -hmm. at a time. And so this is now the mission of this new body of believers, this new movement, this new church, to remember the words of Jesus, to do the work of Jesus in a world that is loved by Jesus. That's their marching orders. And this is the mission of our church, the church, our church today, thousands of years later, empowered by the spirit, the spirit that dwells within each one of us, brothers and sisters, to remember the words of Jesus, to do the work of Jesus in the world that is loved by Jesus. So my friends, what is the spirit continuing to do here in and through us? What is the spirit calling us to, towards not just to invite people to Sunday like if that's the ticket we've lost it we've missed it but invite Sunday to others invite the experience of the love and grace and mercy and repentance and holiness but the, the 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 love and grace and mercy and inclusion of God to people that that that's always sounded like a foreign language so what is the spirit continuing to do here thousands of years later reading this ancient text struggling with the same, things. What are we to do with this spirit that is here, lives and works and speaks through us? Take the good news of Jesus, the places we live, work and play, announcing the language of love for all people, all time to the ends of the earth, or to just continue to speak a foreign language that outsiders and tattoo artists will barely understand. It's the first one. It's the first one. Brothers and sisters, may we be the new temple, the walking around, physical moving temple that the spirit dwells within, that empowers us to serve and love, to teach the Jesus way, to empower to do the Jesus work, to live in the Jesus world that he is restoring one person, one voice, one spirit at a time. So in your life, in my life, in our life as a church, that's the question. What are we open to the spirit doing in our lives? Where are we seeing the spirit at work in our lives? Do we want to be a church that just continues to speak a foreign language? Or do we want to reach people with the mission and the work of the spirit of Jesus, the Messiah and Lord to the farthest ends of the earth? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come have your way. Speak. Dwell within. Inspire and empower us. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. God, may we be a church devoted to your word and to your work, to your spirit that lives in us and empowers us to serve and to your mission that extends to every corner of the planet. May our language be love. May our hearts be open. And may our mission be one that invites daily those who are being saved and welcomed into the love and life of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And have your way in and through us and around us to the furthest reaches of the world. And it's in Jesus' name and in his power we pray. And together we all said, Amen Amen. Amen. and amen.